Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I am your host, Michael Clark, and today we're continuing our theme of favorite sermons preached so far. The next three weeks, we are going to be looking at an individual who I've, I've called him the wisest fool. That's the title of this lesson, The Wisest Fool, and it's kind of interesting to point out that this man has been considered to be one of the wisest man men, excuse me, uh, to have ever lived outside of one other. However, at one point in time, we could also say he was the dumbest or the most foolish, if you want to be more nice to him, be nicer to him. See, I'm I'm already proving that I'm not the wisest man. Um, let's talk about prudence for just a moment here because that's really what we're focusing on the next three weeks. Prudence is defined as the quality of being prudent or cautiousness. And you might think, well, that really doesn't tell me anything. Cautious. I mean, obviously, I want to be cautious. I, I buckle my seatbelt when I get in the car and I make sure I lock the doors at night and I make sure that when I take something out of the oven, I put the, the pot holders on and try to make sure that I don't burn myself. I'm cautious, so I, I'm prudent. If you were to look up the synonyms for the word prudence, you'd find the word wisdom. And an unknown author is quoted as saying, knowledge is knowing what to say, but wisdom is knowing when to say it. And Anthony T. Hinks said, your knowledge is not in question, but your wisdom is. I got a fortune cookie one time that stated, prudence keeps life safe but does not often make it happy. Is that true? Is our caution and application of wisdom when it comes to God's word a sorrowful life, a life that you and I cannot enjoy, cannot find worthwhile? Today, we're wanting to consider the application of wisdom by observing an example and moving on next week, to making application in the weeks to follow. You know, the problem with me doing a sermon like this is I often forget that I write it as one sermon, and it's not three episodes. We're going to look today at the wisest man, king, and results. And then next week, we'll look at a time when the wisest man avoided being the wisest man. And then we'll bring some text takeaways, as we often have, giving the opportunity to consider what we need to learn from this man. So let's begin. If you didn't know already, we're talking about King Solomon. If you have your Bible and you want to go through and read along with me, you're welcome to do so. Today we're going to Second Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. There was a time in Solomon's life where just as a regular man and a regular king, he was wise. In First and 2 Chronicles 1, 1, the Bible says Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. 
I'm told in verses two through six that Solomon put God first. And he goes to the, the high place in verse six and offers a thousand burnt offerings on it. Just think of the scope of that for just a second. When's the last time you and I did a thousand of anything? A thousand push-ups, a thousand sit-ups, a thousand laps around the pool, a thousand laps around the gym, whatever it might be, counting to a thousand. That is incredibly hard to think about trying to do something 1,000 times in a row. It shows some dedication. It shows that Solomon was very much endeavoring to be a wise ruler. One who was prepared. One who loved God. In verse 7, that night, after Solomon was no doubt probably incredibly exhausted, God appears to him and says, ask, what do you want me to give to you? Solomon then understands something that a lot of us today, we need to realize again, and that is God's role in the leadership of our own kingdoms, countries, whatever it might be. In 2 Chronicles 1.8, Solomon says to God, You have shown great mercy to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established for You have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth and multitude. God, I wouldn't be where I am without you. I wouldn't be the king of Israel without you and the great mercy that you've shown and the fact that you have made me king in David, my father's place, but also just in general, God, you've made me king over a people like the dust of the earth and multitude. Psalm 127 talks about a man whose quiver is full, and how happy he is when children who are like arrows, that there is a quiver full. And that passage is not saying, and I really wish people would stop teaching this, the passage is not saying that if you aim your arrow straight and true, it will never miss the mark. The text never even talks about firing them. The text is saying a man who has a multitude of arrows going into battle is significantly happier than the man who only has one. But the man who has one is significantly happier than the man who has none. That's what we're talking. We're talking about a numbers game here of how God blesses us with children, and the more we have, the more blessed we are. David says, God, you've made me king over a people, have given them to be my subjects, that are like the dust of the earth in multitude. God, I I can't do this without you. And so give me what will benefit the people the most. Wisdom and knowledge. That I may go out and come in before this people, because God, who, who can judge this great people of yours? And God grants his request. He says, because this was in your heart, you didn't ask for riches, wealth, honor, the life of your enemies, or a long life, but you asked for wisdom and knowledge that You may judge my people over whom I've made you king. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Verse 12, I'll give you wisdom and knowledge. Yes, they're granted to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. 
by the way this text reads, we cannot deny Solomon was the wealthiest king that has ever lived. He was a king who had the most honor among all of the kings that ever lived. And he was the wisest king who ever ruled an earthly kingdom. You know why I have to stress that word earthly, because there is a spiritual kingdom that we have a king over. We have a ruler, and it ain't Solomon. What happens after this encounter in verses 1 through 12 of Second Chronicles 1 is really a sight to have beheld if we could have done so. Because in verses 13 through 17, Solomon's prowess as a king is felt, both in his military and economic power. He was one that no one would dare to go against. Nobody would want to fight him. Nobody would want to go after him. He was a wealthy king. His, ec- his economy thro- thrived, excuse me. And he was also an individual that nobody would have wanted to fight. But it's not just his prudence that was used in being a good king, his prowess is concerned, but his prudence and wisdom, the application of what God gave him, allowed him to have an audience with well-known people. The, the queen of Sheba at one time in Second Chronicles chapter 9 came to visit Solomon, and she made the statement that she didn't believe. With verse 2, you know, Solomon answers all her questions. The queen of Sheba has seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built. She makes this statement in verse 5. It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Watch this. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. Solomon was able to take his position and promote Jehovah, to promote the Almighty God. Now tell me that position doesn't matter in life. Tell me that you may not have the ability to do something, and I'll say you have power that we may not have if we were to compare notes. You get to speak to people that I never get a chance to speak to, and I get to speak to people that you may never get a chance to speak to, and we need to be trying to use our influence to reach out to these people. When I was in local work in Oakland, Tennessee area, really the Somerville area was where I preached, but I lived in Oakland, and I tried the best that I could to get involved in the community there locally. I coached in the rec league. I I was a part of the Parks and Rec Advisory Board, and that gave me the opportunity to then attend the monthly mayor of board and alder board of, mayor of board and alderman meeting those meetings allowed me the opportunity to get to meet the most important people in my community i had the ability to invite these people to services and, and give them the opportunity to come to study more and then 
Unfortunately, none of them took that oppor- opportunity. We never had that chance to see that come to fruition while I worked there. But I was given the ability to be with what would be known in our town at that time as the well-known leaders of our town. Solomon took that and told the Queen of Sheba everything she needed to know, everything she would have needed to see. That is the entire purpose of us using the influence for good. But there's one example that you and I probably know better than others when it comes to Solomon's wisdom, and it's found in 1 Kings 3, and this is where we're going to end today. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 16, we're told there were two women who came to the king, and they stood before him, and one of them said, Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house, and it happened the third day after I'd given birth, she did too. And so we were together, and no one was with us in the house except for the two of us. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. She rolled over, and unfortunately, she suffocated her child. And certainly there are many that could sympathize and even more that could possibly even empathize with this mindset of a mother accidentally smothering her child in the night. And it's a tragic thought until you read verse 20. So she arose in the middle of the night and she took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in mine. When I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, he he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he wasn't my son whom I had born. The other woman said, no, 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 that's not how this works. The living one is my son, the dead one is your son. And the first one says, no, the dead one is your son, the living one is my son. They're speaking back and forth like this before the king. And so he says, okay, the one who says this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. The king says, okay, bring me a sword. I I remember listening to this illustration as a little boy and thinking there's no way that this could be true. Not illustration, but this story. And thinking, there's no way that this could be true. And king says, bring me a sword. So they bring him a sword, and he says, okay, let's divide the living child, verse 25 and 2, give half to one, half to the other. You know, at least each of you get a half. And then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. She said, Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, you know what? Let him be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Let's, let's do it. So the king says, give the first woman the living child. By no means kill him. She is his mother. And all of Israel heard the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Solomon is an individual that knew how to be prudent in his application of the wisdom that had been given to him. He knew how to utilize this in the way that he ruled his kingdom kingdom, sorry. Solomon is a man that at this point in time, we just would all aspire to be more like in our own daily lives, in the way that we live, in the way that we serve God. We would be absolutely well off to be more and more like Solomon. But you know there's a rest of the story here, don't you? Next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up and talk about it. But until then, let's remember to please God now so our eternity can be far better.